0: from Mississippi State University in Starkville, Mississippi. This is Taking the Rains Podcast. If you love all things horses, get ready for a relatable and educational look into the lives of horses and the people who love them. Now here's our host, Clay Cavender.
1: Welcome back to Taking the Rains Podcast. In this episode, we're gonna discuss what you can do if you don't own a horse. What if you're horseless? How can you still be involved in the horse business? So I sat down with a good friend of mine, Elena Cross, who's the Extension Specialist at North Carolina State University. She is highly involved in all kinds of educational events through 4-H and volunteer programs uh, in her state. So I think she has a lot of insight, and we discussed this topic, and I think you'll get, you'll get a lot of uh, benefit from listening. So I appreciate you joining us again. Here's my discussion and talk with Elena Cross. And so, so many people love horses and joy all that they had to offer. But I don't think, especially with what we do, they understand probably the full specter of responsibility that goes along with that. So we're gonna talk about that. Before we get into that though, professionally speaking, you're the state extension specialist in North Carolina, at North Carolina State University, and there's so many things that go into getting to that point. So give mm-hmm. me just a rundown of how you got involved with horses and what got you to the point of that nice title
0: yeah so i grew up in a completely horseless family i was the kid that my mom let me collect my little ponies and thought that i would grow out of it and as we all know that doesn't happen so i stayed uh just very interested in horses got my first horse when i was 10 uh, out of a cow pasture and just figured out how to ride her with lessons and because she wasn't very high quality and i didn't have a lot of money we went to 4H. So 4H was the first place where we joined a club and they hooked us up with lessons and we started showing local 4H shows. We didn't have, you know, the quality or the time or the finances to, you know, go straight to the breed show. So once I figured out with 4H, I really enjoyed that. We started showing more aggressively and I grew up showing Tennessee walking horses, flat-shod walking horses, and I became very involved in the different activities that 4-H offers. I was a 4-H'er in the state of North Carolina, I did educational events, I did camps, I did horse shows. I basically, I was the kid who was so horse crazy, wanted to do everything I could. So that being said, I thought I wanted to go to vet school. So when I went into my undergrad at North Carolina State University, I studied animal science. And as I went along, I decided I was more interested in graduate school than veterinary school. So I went to graduate school at Michigan State University studying animal science. Found out there that I really loved teaching. So when I graduated from there, I got a teaching job at Cal Poly State University in California, San Luis Obispo. And then I discovered I still really really loved the teaching and the hands-on which extension falls very nicely into so there were a couple of steps in between but after that job that is where I really realized I wanted to work with young people hands-on you know helping them develop their skills and their interests and their enthusiasm and lent, ended up with this job at NC State University which was fun to kind of come full circle from where I started to right. be back in a program that kind of raised me up. So that was really neat.
1: Well, I think a lot of times we, we mention extension, a ton of people, especially at the collegiate level when we're talking in classes and talking about what extension does. So many people, it surprises me, they don't have a clue what extension does. Oh, for sure. Or they say, we didn't have 4-H growing up or whatever. So, right. uh, and but then like you and I, and so many people that we know, that academic, upbringing 4-h all that that led into college was such an integral part of how we got to be where we are got involved with what we got to be involved with and plus i think so many people say don't make your hobby your profession or don't or vice versa and but we we both disregarded that i hadn't i didn't forgot that you went to cal poly but um it's a neat way to get to where you're at but what do you think how do we get that out there how do we inform more people about what extension does and the opportunities that extension has
0: yeah i think it's definitely not just you know when we're talking to college students in the classroom we see it with you know horse owners and you know producers out in the field all the time i think they hear extension and they think livestock And they think that horses are not part of livestock and horses are a unique animal where they fit both into the companion animal realm and the livestock realm depending on how you operate your business and i think what we are trying really hard to do in north carolina is help our horse owners understand that our livestock specialists can connect them with the right people in the industry to answer you know questions can connect them to different groups like 4-h and connect them to resources that are really valuable that they're already using their tax dollars to support. I think a lot of people don't understand that extension is something they're already paying for um, within their county, you know, and they can utilize that service with no additional fee for the most part for a lot of things that they do. So I think that trying to help our livestock agents seek out, you know, more horse owners and horse um, active youth, as well as educating you know our public that that's a great resource and even if they don't know horses in their county a lot of them are really willing to learn and they really want to connect you to the right people they and, not and it is a grassroots
1: yes thing it's what we got to keep in mind too a lot of times mm-hmm. i think when you've got new horse owners or we're kind of talking about today you know this episode is entitled horseless and there is a entity of people that Want the dream of horse ownership, mm-hmm. right? But then, what do you do when you get one? What what if you know beyond that point you do buy a horse? I think we forget sometimes that extension four H provides this grassroots entry level place mm-hmm. where education is the prime key. Yes, not necessarily winning and losing, right? Th- th- yeah. Those are values we learn. Oh, absolutely. But uh, I think we and you go to the quarter horse show right out new out of the bag, and it's pretty intimidating. Mm-hmm. Where I think four H probably gives us a little bit more of a Way right. to introduce,
0: to and that. I think 4H too. Um, the whole purpose is, you know, the 4Hs: your head for clearer thinking, your heart for greater loyalty, your hands to larger service, and your health to better living. And they try to really incorporate that, regardless of your 4H project. So, with the horses, you know, it's about tying a community together. It's about having leadership within your group or within your, you know, farm or within your home. It's it's certainly about education. We see a lot of people who title themselves as horse trainers or horse instructors who are missing some key components of safety, right? And so I feel like groups like 4-H and certainly not to disregard, you know, Pony Club or, you know, other groups that also do youth activities, you know, training the correct and safe way to approach the horse industry is just setting that individual up for future success, yeah, regardless of what discipline they choose to pursue. And,
1: and we may be at a disadvantage with the horse business. I don't know, I'm, I'm speaking for the horse business, that's what I know the most, but I get so much of, well, that's not how we did it at home, or that's not how granddaddy told me to do it, or that's not what so-and-so said. And we really gotta believe, we gotta remember as educators, we gotta stay at that grassroots level a lot of times. But with that said, Elena, you. you you and i deal with a lot of things uh as most people do in their careers so we're trying to we have the um, it's, it's a blessing and a curse to have our love interest in in our uh, hobby and our job kind of overlap so this is a tough question but i want you to think about it for a second. what's the greatest and the worst parts of your job
0: so truthfully the greatest part of my job is very easy so i work with a lot of different youth From a lot of different backgrounds, from a lot of different disciplines within our state. And every single one of them brings something really cool to the table in how they see and interpret the world. Not just, and I see it obviously through more of the horse knowledge lens, but it's so cool to watch these kids be so excited to want to learn, but also to want to learn like with each other. I think a lot of times people see the horseless activities and a lot of them are competitions that you might be working towards like a horse bowl which is like a quiz bowl setting or a knowledge contest or a horse judging contest and they see the competitive side and they don't see the relational team building aspects like there's so many life skills that come from being a member of a team from working hard for something and being disappointed, from working hard for something and achieving, you know, your goal, for picking each other up, for encouraging instead of discouraging, that—that that is unquestionably my favorite part of my job—is watching these kids develop relationships with each other and leadership skills that I know I can look at that and be like, that is going to continue in whatever else they choose to do, like with their life, like by far. So hey, I enjoy that.
1: So how do you think that's different? Though this is a question I've been struggling with my own with my my own child and kids I teach. What makes us different than softball?
0: Yeah, I think, so truthfully, I think there's a lot of similarities. I think it's the interest level of the topic of the animal, because with another sports team, you're also going to get a huge variety of those life skills, right? Not to discredit anything, but with an animal, you have to also approach that with a different level of responsibility because you're not just responsible for yourself and your teammate, you're responsible for yourself, your barn mate, your teammate, and animal finances, right? I think a lot of times with the sports aspect, um, the financial aspect is not so much directly something that the youth is working with, with their parents. Obviously, sometimes it is, but I think with you know, showing horses, you know sometimes you gotta have those conversations like, look, we can only afford two horse shows. You know, what are you going to do? These are the entry fees. Like, we got to get the show tack. Like, you know, that's very much a discussion point together, or at least in my household it is, um, and with a lot of the kids I talk to. But I think having the animal involved creates that extra level of responsibility that you might not just have from a sports team, or I should say a different level, maybe not an extra level, because not to discredit, you know, anything we do with sports, but I also really think that when you have individuals who have such a common interest but then so many different other aspects of their life so for instance we have kids who they love the horse but they might play other team sports or we have kids that love the horse but they might be on academic you know teams or chess teams or they might um, be homeschooled or they might be in a giant public school like there's a huge variety of life experiences they bring to the table and we've had a lot of opportunities to teach each other about respecting how someone else thinks or how they review, you know, the world that I haven't seen personally with, with my sports team experiences so far. Yeah, so.
1: And, and But one of the things I think runs us off, too, is you got to think about it. It's so much easier to play softball. Or I use softball, or soccer, mm-hmm. or whatever you want to play. Uh, there's expense, obviously, right? So I'm not shortchanging any of that. But trying to think about what input costs at the at the very foundational level i could use for soccer and buying a soccer ball and goal Mm -hmm. versus what i gotta buy to buy a horse it separates a lot of people so that's what Mm -hmm. that's kind of what we're talking about here and one of the topic of what i want to bring in i want you to hear i know you know these stats but uh for our listeners i want to kind of include this so that, that we get some thought into this so according to the american horse council there are a little over 7 million horses in the u.s and roughly 60% are involved with what they deem showing and recreation. So basically this is a fun horse, right? So this is 60% of that seven million are being used uh, for fun. So this means that about four million of those horses are for that purpose. So to horse enthusiast, horse ownership sounds like a desirable thing, okay? I think everybody wants it. You mentioned it at the beginning, I think it's so funny. I have two sisters and I, to this point, have never met a little girl that doesn't play with My Little Ponies or some doll that has to do with an equestrian event. That they want something to do with horses. Yes. It's really—I don't know if "odds" oh, the right word—but yeah. intriguing. Well,
0: people always say like it's in there, it's in your blood, or it's in the genes, and you can't let it go. But I mean, it's—we've seen enough of it over and over that I think yeah, that it has some truth to but it. But it
1: also, like, I have two sisters, like I said, and both of them did that, mm-hmm. and then went on. But I think it's so funny that all little girls have dreamed of that horse ownership experience Mm -hmm. at some point, whether they clung to it the rest of their life or not, it's a different story, but it's there for some reason. So let's talk about what are some of the responsibilities that you you see that come with horse ownership?
0: So uh, truthfully, I think the biggest responsibility is financial responsibility. And I think that's something that either our industry has not done a good enough job of educating people about or people, you know, our nation loves to rack up debt right you don't really think about being financially responsible you think of the upfront cost of okay I have to purchase the horse the price itself I have to purchase my equipment that I need for the horse whether that is my tack or my fencing or etc or I have to pay my board bill if you're going to board your horse somewhere I think the sneaky things that people don't think about is over time that equipment is going to need repair that horse needs constant you know, care for its health—farrier, vet, dental, sometimes chiropractic, sometimes you know, alternative, you know, therapy—or people don't plan for. Okay, well, my horse had a catastrophic medical event; they had a significant colic; they had, you know, a, a significant injury in the pasture, and they haven't thought through: Am I going to insure this animal, or am I going to pay ten thousand out of pocket to? deal with this and and that's where it kind of catches people off guard or they're not educated in the price of good feed how many times do we see horses who are either poor conditioned or have a medical problem related to really low quality hay that they're not you know fed because oh well my neighbor up the road had round bales for 40 bucks and if i go to the feed store they're 85 like well there's there's a reason for that right and horses are pretty delicate animals in terms of what they can ingest and not die on so and, and
1: that's a hard one to educate on when you don't it know is. it is so you think about financial aspect of it if i'm mm-hmm. going to go buy a dog everybody has a family dog and you pay a thousand dollars for a family dog or get him from the aspca right. for a lot less uh i think a lot of times people think that the purchase price is the incoming payment absolutely to the industry and that's the cheapest part
0: yeah well and especially truthfully we see it all the time the cheaper the initial payment price on that horse probably the more medical issues you have pending right because that horse is either cheap because it has a soundness issue or it's older or it's limited in what it can physically do and it's very rare what's the saying it's you have sound broke and cheap you can pick two Right. You right. can have sound and broke, but he ain't cheap. You can have broke and cheap, but he ain't sound, right? Like you gotta pick two of those. And it's very true in our industry. And I think that the financial commitment to owning a horse is one that we don't teach a big picture broad spectrum. Yeah, and, and you're
1: talking about variation within financial obligations like feed costs, but right. people don't I see this a ton. This is a stickler for me. I, I would per look at tag. Yeah. Uh, you can buy a saddle for $200 and you can buy a saddle for $10,000. There's such a wide swath, mm-hmm. right? So I think that's another thing that people, their eyes start to bug out when they go, oh my gosh, I didn't really realize what this was going to
0: cost. Well, or they go for that $200 saddle and they, it's again, it's $200 for a reason. Either it's going to break, you know, the billets aren't right. you know, going to be high quality or you bought something that had a broken tree or a broken fender and you didn't realize it or you're buying something that's cheap and low quality, and it probably doesn't fit your horse well, and it might cause issues down with the road lameness, with like lameness. Exactly, right. <laughs> so it's, I think it's, it's such a big connected circle that that for sure is a big area of education,
1: and what I don't want to do with this is I don't. I teach this in class like you do a lot of times, and I think that uh, it's real easy if you were considering horse ownership, and then you hear one of us talk about this stuff. You're like, eh, I don't know, that don't sound like a good <laughs> right, idea. Right. I don't want to run people off, but no. also I want to be truthful, right? Like it needs to be real about. Yeah, and, a if, lot goes and on. it can
0: be done. You just have to be. If that's going to be something that's important to you, like anything else that might be, you know, important to you. If if a CrossFit membership is important to you, you're going to find room in your budget for it, right? If horse ownership is important to you, then you find room in your budget for it. But I think you know, as long as you understand the cost that you are incruing with it, and you can do horses in not a lucrative manner. like not all horse ownership is going to be lucrative. Now, by all means, you can make it incredibly lucrative. But you can do things, you know, for a relatively reasonable price, as long as you are aware and understand that that price is not, I'm going to pay a thousand dollars for the horse, two hundred dollars for my saddle. Vet's going to see him once a year we're we're good. good, Right.
1: Right. And then horses live to be 20 years old and you've got this obligation. Right. Right. We could talk about financial obligations a ton because there's so many out there. We didn't talk about consistent betting. If you're putting the horse in the stall, you know, there's so many different things. But um, what about legal obligations? Do people realize what impact legally they have with horse ownership?
0: Yeah. And I real I see this all the time. People who are like oh my daughter has four horses and we're going to run like a youth summer camp this summer and i'm like that's great what kind of liability insurance do you have and they freeze and they're like well we have that sign that hangs up in our barn and i'm like that's great until what happens when someone's child you know has a catastrophic injury hope hopefully it never happens but you don't want to find out when that happens i think horse ownership we have so many different legal ways we can approach this but from a liability Land management, fencing management, you know, if you own a horse and you have very poor fencing and your animals get out, you know, on the road and God forbid, you know, cause an injury or or death to someone like a motorist, that's likely on you as negligence for the horse owner. And I think, again, you don't have to spend thousands of dollars on insurance, but it's something to consider based on what your activities are going to be, where you live, you know what your potential risks are and there's several people who can help walk you through navigating those choices so
1: some of the barriers to horse ownership is legally speaking you mentioned um, what you mentioned was some states call the limited equine liability law some people call it limited livestock liability law depending on the state and, and that's something else. I agree with you on the fact you said earlier that some people, depending on what they're doing, call them companion animals, or consider horses companions, some livestock, legally, right. they're livestock, right. so they fall under the umbrella of limited liability laws mm-hmm. that each state has. So, but, but that's not a catch-all, right? No.
0: And, each, and even within each county is different. We deal with it frequently of what are the shelter laws you know that you have to have for your animals per your county it's different some counties say that you know adequate tree coverage may be considered adequate you know shelter but many counties don't consider that to be adequate shelter so do you have an adequate shelter you know for your horse and that might be a cost you might not have you know thought about again so there's a lot of you know there's a lot of nuance to this but i guess kind of to go off what you say we don't want to scare people from not owning horses but these are all areas that extension can help you navigate that people don't realize yes, exactly for sure. so you can you have a ton of resources out there of people who know your county's laws and know or if they don't they will know they'll figure it out right so you don't have to just go to the internet and google something cuz there are a lot of good resources but it might be pertaining to a state you're not even in whose laws might be different than yours in regards to liability or um you know animal welfare so i think that's incredibly important you
1: know years ago it's been probably five six seven years ago we did some trainings for county offices like sheriff's offices and so i got a chance to talk to a lot of sheriffs and deputies and people involved in that and what they deal with really surprised me because you've got you got two entities you got someone who jumped off in horse ownership realm and did everything you were talking about but they did it to the the least they could do or were able to do right and so then you've got this other entity the public who's driving by and they look and see well that horse doesn't look quite like i think horses should look like he's a little too skinny right and so deputies or the law gets involved So, so those are things we don't even think about like you could out of it could be neglect but I don't think people really are that way. I no. think it's apathy or ignorance, just don't know what to do. Or, man, we go through some trying economic times and yeah. it comes down to feeding my kids or feeding the horse. That's a pretty easy choice. Right. But where do we go with uh, the public shows or the, the law shows up and says, hey, we've had a complaint against the horse in the back of your pasture that goes up against your neighbor's house and this is too skinny. Yeah. That's a whole nother thing. So again, not trying to scare people off, but combining things like cost of ownership and land. Uh, barns, proper fencing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other one I see a lot, mine, I'm, you kind of alluded to was, well, I have an acre. Right. So I don't have to buy hay. Right. Horses eat grass, right. so let's I just turn them on. Mm-hmm. And that's not quite right. the standard, maybe.
0: Right. And depending on where you live, your you know that forage growth may not be adequate. Uh, it could definitely be something that could potentially be developed to be an adequate forage source depending on your stocking rate and what you're willing to put into it which again extension can help you do but yeah i think there's a lot of misconception about land use and horses and i think we don't do a great job in general as the equestrian community of stewarding our land Uh, In terms of how we let, you know, our horses interact with waterways, you know, like if we have a pond on our property, we say, oh, that'll be their drinking water. That'll be fine. Or we let them overgraze and then we have erosion issues. So there's just a lot of things to think about to be a good steward of both the animal and your environment that you're in or manure disposal. You know, we tend not to think about manure disposal in the same way that the livestock industry does because they're regulated. The equine industry has much more fluid regulation because it's a solid waste product. It's not a liquid waste product. And you have to think, well, how am I going to have this accumulating on my land? What am I going to do with it? And And properly management. Yeah, it's
1: a ton of stuff, especially when you think about, I think of two problems with most people didn't grow up in that environment. And so they're learning along the way sometimes. And so they get into these traps and, and haven't maybe had the experiences to, to think about them before they happen so you know so many things we could talk about on on horse ownership and again not trying to scare people off but we definitely need to be thinking about the bigger picture the greater picture of what we have to do with horses and I think
0: it's really important to think about that because if you're hearing all of this and you're like wow maybe this isn't for me that's great there's tons of opportunities to be involved in the horse world and ride and show and enjoy them where you don't have to you know have them under your direct ownership and care, right? There's tons of leasing opportunities or lesson opportunities, and maybe that's a better financial fit. I think going back to finances, a lot of times people look at like lesson price and they're like, oh my gosh, it'd be so much easier to, cheaper to own my horse, right? But that lesson May price not. is reflective of everything we just said for whoever does own that that horse.
1: People a lot of times will balk at, oh my goodness, $60 an hour for a lesson. Well, they've got yeah. a whole bunch of things that are going on with uh, at their house, right? So they're paying for a lot of this kind of stuff and and not understanding what goes into it. They're right. Just you're, $60. you're paying
0: for all of those background things that we just mentioned. Instead of paying directly out of your pocket, someone else is still paying out of pocket. Right. And so if you don't want to take up all that additional responsibility, then maybe continuing down that road is... Is the best option for you,
1: for sure. So that's a great prelude into this uh, next question I got for you. So we know that the responsibility of owning a horse brings value, such as we all probably developed a ton of our own work ethic from working around horses, commitment, greater confidence. Is, I mean, this is things that are that's not just opinion. This is documented stuff, and an improved ability to work with others. So there's so many things that horses bring, right? As do sports and team and working with other people and working through issues um, but but a horse is unique like you said but what value do you see through non-horse owning avenues yeah and, and i should say what are those avenues too like yeah you mentioned so there's several
0: there's several ways that you can be involved in the horse industry without actually owning your own animal so uh one way that is probably the most common that people think of is being involved in a lesson program of some sort you know at a local barn and different industries set this up very differently the, the hunter industry has its own way of doing lessons and leases and things like that the saddle seat industry has its whole way of doing things with the way they have their Academy program set up um, a lot of saddle seat barns will have horse interest clubs that may not particularly be 4-h related or FFA or pony club related but it's its own kind of Academy Club entity there's different, you know, internship opportunities for young, you know, working riders and students with cert- within certain industries that they offer. So obviously, I think that's one. Um, working in different areas of the sector, I guess, is your question more focused on like the, what are opportunities for a youth or an adult? Well, it because there's be either. Because there's right. significant for both.
1: Yeah. And I think of it, so I'm thinking about like, okay, if I could do this all over, I, well, let me, this is just as personal story so i thought my dad was a horse trainer so i thought until i was probably 10 that everybody had a horse show barn 100 feet from their house I, that, that's what i thought and so it, it again was a good and there was pros and cons to it but uh, if someone doesn't have that opportunity mm-hmm. they still like you said in the very beginning have this as a child they've fantasize about owning horses and play horse Who didn't have a stick horse right so you're loping around the house and you're thinking about this and then but but based on the financial obligations we just talked about what are ways that maybe as a kid or a parent Mm -hmm. i can get my kid involved with horses without taking on all that stuff we just talked about
0: so i think number one number one and you know this is a bit of a i'm it's close to my heart but i think 4-h is phenomenal so 4-h exists in every one of our states uh, there's 4-H horse program in every single one of the continental U.S. states. And that is a program that is either free or incredibly minimally reduced. Uh, you might have some kind of fee structure to your club. Many do not. Most 4-H activities do not require that you own a project animal like the livestock activities require. So with, with horse, um, you can do a lot of the educational events that... You can learn about horses, you can, you know, if it's based out of a barn, like even if you're not a lesson member at that barn, it might be structured in a way you still get to do horse related hands on horse activities within that barn, maybe not riding, you can have a ton of opportunity to travel all the way through the national level to compete with knowledge based contests. have, a,
1: what are those? So
0: we have several national contests. We have one regional contest, the Southern Regional 4-H Horse Championships, which is the um, 13 Southeast states, kind of Kentucky, South out to Texas, Oklahoma, that that chunk of the country. Then we have the Eastern National and Western National 4-H Roundups. Western Nationals is in Denver, Colorado eastern nationals is in louisville kentucky so those are opportunities and these are all horse lists you don't take your horse you just take yourself and your knowledge as a high schooler to compete and then you have um Other different opportunities at national horse shows throughout the country. So, the All American Quarter Horse Congress has several different youth events that it offers from, you know, horse judging, horse bowl, hippology, public speaking, all those kinds of things. Um, The Arabian Horse Association does a lot, Arabian Nationals, different breed associations might have an event at some of their different shows, like at the various you know youth world you know NRHA they have different horse judging competitions so those opportunities exist if you know how to find them
1: and you, and you don't have to have a,
0: own and a none horse of but those, you still
1: be involved and in,
0: and you I, can see you can see top level industry in a way that you might not be right. exposed to it without because you got to have money to be able to participate at the top level of whatever sport you wanna do, right? Doesn't matter if you're showing a miniature horse or a draft horse or a quarter horse. Like if you wanna show at the top level, you gotta have the money to invest in the right horse, the right training, the right equipment, and that show.
1: And we also, and I'm sure you see this too, I see the kids that are able, and the adults that are able, financially able to own horses, they can buy the best stuff, they can Mm -hmm. have the best trainers, they can do all the stuff, and they can, for lack of a better way, say they can buy their way into that, Yep. but they bypass the knowledge, and so um, I think that all the stuff you mentioned—horseball, horse, horse judging—all these pro- these things that we can do through 4-H to gain or garner the knowledge aspect of it—you may have the ability to and the means to buy a horse later on, and if you've got that foundational education part of it, horse ownership becomes pretty easy. Ab-
0: absolutely, yeah, and we see that a lot. We see a lot of kids who are involved in 4-H. Um, you know may they may not own that horse right and that's why 4-h has been a great opportunity to them but we also have kids involved in 4-h who go and show at the world level you know it's it's for everybody uh and the nice thing is the way that 4-h is structured it's structured consistently at a national level and then it trickles down to the states and then it trickles down to districts within your state and then it trickles down to your county so everything is under the same large umbrella in terms of consistency Of knowledge and information which is something that I think is really important because as we all we have all I'm sure seen several wrong ways to do something within the horse industry but we've also seen several right ways to do things there's more than one right way to accomplish a lot of the things we want to accomplish and 4-H gives us the opportunity to examine those have those discussions like is this truly the best way to approach X or Y and I think that 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 has a lot of value with teaching kids to critically think like they can examine oh well this book told me this and this book told me this and then you can discuss well what do you think are those both viable ways do you think one is wrong do you think one is right and then they can learn how to evaluate what two different farriers might say to them at a different point and determine what's right for themselves down the road with horse ownership
1: and what you just mentioned there to me is the the meat of the whole matter Because we always talk about the horse, the horse, the horse. But really, in reality, what we're doing is we're using the horse as a tool to improve life skill development of people. That's really what's happening here. What you just mentioned, you're teaching how to critically think. right? And that is something we lack so much of in society. And sometimes this is a great avenue, right? Without having to spend money on buying a horse.
0: Every single opportunity that we have through 4-H, and not to say these opportunities don't exist not in pony club, not in an academy club, like they, they exist. I can just speak from 4-H cause that's my personal background, but every opportunity that we have with 4-H has that greater purpose. So for instance, let's take a horse bowl situation. Horse bowl is a knowledge quiz bowl buzzer type game where all the questions are about horses. You have to, you cannot just show up having not studied anything and expect to do well, right? you have to study you have to understand your weaknesses and address those you have to find specific areas to improve upon you have to learn teamwork you can't be getting upset with your own teammate if they're not pulling their weight even though it's a team sport you can't be a sore loser if you get beat sometimes a contest might not be fair you know guess what all that happens in life right and so you have those opportunities to learn about those so Yes, you can get that absolutely in other team sports or things of that nature, but you can get that in a way with the horse as a focus. That's kind of a unique thing for kids who have that interest.
1: Yeah, and so yeah, those a great point. I was lucky. I'm not by any means bragging about that at all. I was actually lucky to have both, and I did it kind of ver- reversed. I was I grew up in a horse showing family. And I spent every it's a, like I said, it's a blessing and curse. We never went on vacation. We went to the horse show. I spent every birthday I had at state fairs and wherever we were at the horse show. I missed my prom because I was at Shawnee at a horse I mean, it was just one thing after another. But later in life, I decided to do the competitive judging aspect of it, right? And uh, yeah, you learn a lot of stuff life skill-wise working with others. And the other one you didn't mention, like you use the horse bowl thing. You can have all the knowledge in the world, lack confidence, and not show up.
0: Or and not be able to communicate. Right. Communication, I think, and I'll just go out on a limb and say it because I see it, our younger generations coming up do not have the strongest communication skills because they are a lot of times limited in their peer-to-peer contact due to the influence of social media. Right. And, and what we see are you know kids who may have more trouble speaking to an adult confidently about their opinion, right? Or speaking to, someone else in addressing an uncomfortable situation of disagreeing with them horse judging we see it all the time it's there's a set of standards yes but within that there's a lot of flexibility for opinion sure right and so if you can make a choice of what you think your opinion is defend it in a kind and respectful manner to someone else that's a huge translatable life skill
1: yeah and yeah there's so much to that I could tell, well, I think I sing it all the time. Um, we blame these dang phones and social media a lot of times, like today's generation. We didn't have that when I was a kid. We didn't have these issues. Mm-hmm. And, well, it's because we haven't provided a ton of avenues. Right. And you've got to take advantage of the avenue. Right. Because, horse, no, we're just using judging, but it's anything. It's difficult, it's uh, time consuming, but the payoff is.
0: I have never it. talked to a 4 H'er who has gone through the horseless, you know, opportunity of, you know, okay, I I worked towards this goal, this educational goal. I have never talked to a 4Her or their parent or guardian who has regretted doing it ever. Sure. Not once.
1: And I think I'm not going to say their name, but I can think of and I know you can too. I can think of I could go on and on. But I can think of one example of a student who when I met them, when I coached a collegiate judging team, I met them. They never owned a horse. They would never been in horses. They took a course I had. They were interested. They decided to be on the judging team, and then, but they couldn't look you in the eye when they talked to you. They looked looked at their feet, and when they went through a year year one year program, the level of confidence was just oh, over it's the top. It's
0: outstanding. Yeah. Well, and. And with horses, I do think this is something where we do get a level of confidence that is slightly different than team sports um, because there's you know, a huge, the, the numbers don't lie that America's youth are dealing with higher rates of anxiety and depression, right? Like that's an unfortunate statistic, but we have seen over and over the confidence that either riding a horse or working with a horse or working towards like a team you know goal like this where you have to defend your decision is so, so hugely influential in a positive way, like in a young person's life. So I think that is a unique thing. I mean, if you're, you know, a young kid, and I'll just say a young girl because that's kind of what dominates our most of our industry today, who struggles with confidence issues, if you can steer a thousand pound animal over a jump course, like that's a huge confidence booster, you know? Or if you can Get up and give a presentation about something you're really passionate about that's another thing that 4-H is really big on is correct public speaking correct parliamentary procedure you know correct citizenship involvement so those are skills that you can learn. Using a tool that your kid enjoys, exactly. and I think that's a hard—you yeah. know—you can't be like, yeah. "Hey, let's go be in the Citizens Club," right? right? <laughs> Most kids and, are like, and are all
1: skills that a future employer wants, absolutely,
0: right? or or a future you know, our future government, our future mm-hmm. leaders, like it's it's pretty critical.
1: So you're making them marketable. Oh, yeah. So so let's spend that just a second here. So what if what if you mentioned a little while ago? Like, are you talking about youth? Or are you talking about adults? Mm-hmm. What if you're 35 and you like, man, I always wanted to do horses, but yeah. I never did nothing. Is there avenues that they can get involved without responsibilities yeah. of horse ownership too?
0: Absolutely, so I will, I, you are never too old to take lessons, right? There are so many groups that cater lessons to beginner adults. And I think a lot of people, don't like think of that because they think of riding as like or anything else like oh i want to do dance lessons well i didn't start ballet when i was five like everybody else right there's so many opportunities for beginner adults to take riding lessons so just reach out to your local groups and ask you can volunteer with 4-h it does require a background check uh, because we have to make sure that everybody's going to be safe working with youth even if you don't have a huge knowledge of horses the best volunteers are enthusiastic Eager to work and show up, no one will turn you away.
1: You didn't miss. You didn't say they're the best volunteers are the most knowledgeable. You no, said the best volunteers not are eager,
0: eager, willing, right. enthusiastic. Like so, that's a way you can kind of double dip by learning about horse stuff, but also helping kids. You know, just develop in life skills, right? Like you do not have to be a horse owner to be a 4-H leader if you have interest in assisting I guarantee you no leader is going to say no thank you right like, and what a know? better
1: way to make a connection with your kid if they're expressing interest oh absolutely that'd be a great connection yeah. wouldn't it? yeah
0: absolutely and so the other opportunities that you can have as an adult too is there's a lot of volunteer opportunities if you have a local horse show that's going on, whether it's at your state fairgrounds or the county level, if you express genuine interest in like wanting to be involved with running that horse show, there are ways they will absolutely put you to work where you don't have to touch an animal, right? But you can get an idea of the industry. Again, if you're kind, compassionate, you're going to listen, you're going to learn. That's another avenue you could go and learn.
1: Absolutely, you know. And, and our listeners may be hearing doors open and stuff. We're 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 actually at the Southern Regional Horse <laughs> Show are. right now this week, putting on a uh, today is educational contest. So what a great day to talk yeah. about that subject matter. So here's a, here's a I've just got a few more things for us before we close out here. You and Lori Stroud, I, I should have mentioned Lori earlier, but she's the your counterpart. You mm-hmm. guys are both extension specialists at NC State. You guys lead a very acclaimed program at NCSU. Bob Mowry before you, actually I think Bob was your extension specialist he when was, you he were was a kid. My, and he right? was my
0: judging coach, yep, yeah. back in the day.
1: Bob was extension specialist before that and um, I think was one of the, I'm sure there was somebody before him that got that going. But you guys have filled big shoes and continued to, to watch them grow. How successful has the program been in the area of non-horse owning opportunities in the past, This is say five or six years?
0: Oh, tremendous, and I think the way I define success, I just want to be really clear with that. We define success by retention and using that knowledge. We do not define success by the number of things we win or don't win. So for us, we have seen over and over again with our program, the investment of our adult volunteer leaders is second to none. But what we have also seen is the investment of our youth back into youth has been tremendous. So once a student competes at a national contest at the Eastern or Western nationals, they cannot compete at their state level in that same contest. So let's say they're doing the public speaking. If they even participate, doesn't matter if they get a ribbon or not, if they participate at the national contest, they can't come back and participate at the state level in that event. They can do something else, but that prevents the same kids from winning. you know, year after year. Mm -hmm. But what we will have that individual do is they will come back and invest in our future public speakers. So kids teaching kids is tremendous. I'm sure anyone who has a kid who is listening to this knows that your child does not listen to you the same way they listen to somebody else, especially if it is a peer. If we have you know, a 10-year-old kid, they are idolizing that 15-year-old who went to nationals, right? And then that gives that 15-year-old the opportunity to have to organize their thoughts, have to think about how am I going to teach and encourage someone else in a way that meets them at their level, and then they are then invested in that kid's success. So we try really hard, to me, when I have students who want to come back and continue teaching and continue being involved in our program, even though their college students, that's what I consider to be success. Because you know, I know that
1: I'm actually kind of uh, blown away with your answer a little bit, because I wasn't expecting it to go there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that you, that's why you define, you mm-hmm. did not mention, and we don't have time to go into all the, the awards that um, you guys have won mm-hmm. with your program, tons, it's too long to really talk about. Everybody knows whether you know this or not, everyone else, this is something I used to say as a judging coach too, is like, we don't have to win them all, but I want everyone to know that we are here and you gotta be worried about us. Mm-hmm. And I, I know they are about North Carolina State's educational contests, um, competition kids, That that's the way they feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you said something Gary Potter told me years ago that I never forgot. Gary Potter uh, w- worked at Texas a for a number of years and he told me one time, he said that, uh, in reference to judging contests, he said, it's. It was not important that you win a contest, but it's imperative that you prepare. Yes. And I still use that.
0: Absolutely. Because it's
1: not, no one cares or it's even thought, no one really cares right. who won the world show five years ago, whether you're showing a horse or in a judging contest or whatever. It's all about next year. Right. But really what it boils down to is the preparation is what makes us better people.
0: Absolutely. And for us, you know, I want our kids to obviously give their best and give their all and if they gave their best they prepared the best they could they gave their all and they got beat then they got beat yeah. you know like you you can't be mad about somebody else who you know outperformed you but you can be mad at somebody else who outworked you
1: mm-hmm and so. you can, can go the other way I've shown right? horses before and come out and gone that was terrible and Mm -hmm. then I won the class and it just didn't mean as much as when everything clicks absolutely and that goes that way for a lot here's our closing thought great great discussion there I love that you definitely uh closed that question out really well but here here's a our closing question what experience or experiences do you value the most in your life that involvement with horses contributed to so connect all the dots you as a person your life experiences this point. you're not just an extension specialist, you're a mother, you're a wife, you know, lots mm-hmm. of different things. Yeah.
0: Uh, that one is actually pretty easy for me to answer because I, I think about it a lot. I did not have the opportunity to look at different aspects of our industry without 4H. So if I had not had 4H, I would have stayed in my little Tennessee walking horse bubble, likely. And my little North Carolina bubble, likely. And I tremendously value learning as much as I can about everything I can. I think when you stop wanting to learn is when, you know, you just you should you should never stop wanting to learn because everybody has something to teach you. I try I try in my off season, I'll go take a lesson on a rain or I'll go, you know, take a lesson on a dressage horse because I, I firmly believe I can apply something from everything I learn to help continue you know my my journey as a horseman for my mind going and traveling and seeing all these places all these barns meeting all these people from different areas of my state um, when I was in 4-H unquestionably showed me like there's a huge world out there and I can think outside the box no one ever told me I had to think in a box but that's just what we do right if you don't know any different you don't think any different but if you can see different opportunities, talk to different people, learn different things, you have a better capacity to form your own thoughts and your own opinions, defend them more clearly and ultimately be more secure in who you are. When I was a kid, I was incredibly insecure. Like I desperately like wanted to win like the popularity of my classmates, like what people thought of me was so important to me like it is to so many people right every one of us can say i don't care what people think of me y- you do at some level to a right point you do yeah. to a point sure but it it taught me to be confident in who i was form my own opinions have my own experiences and value a diversity of people and a diversity of industry i think within our industry truthfully it is very difficult you know we see it all the time with our kids coming in maybe our You know, we have a kid who's never seen a true Western pleasure horse before, and they can't it's very hard for them to value the athleticism of that animal because mm-hmm. they can't get out of their their mind that it's just a broken down peanut roller
1: how different it is from what they're used to. exactly yeah.
0: or you might have you know a kid who's never seen a saddle seat horse before or an Arabian halter horse before and it's difficult for them to get it out of their head that like they're just crazy right but then when we go to these barns and we talk to these trainers and I love I love 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 we go to every discipline you could imagine and so much of what the trainers say overlaps about what horses are. And it, seeing the kids connect those dots of, oh, like, no, it's not that different. There's just, you know, stylistic differences to how we do things. I think that translates so hugely to the rest of the world. And, like, looking at people who've had different life you know, a different life than me if they have a different economic background, a different, you know, socio-economic background, a different educational background. I truly think being able to unlock my limit, limited mind on the horses has enabled me to interact with like, people in the world in a more open way. So I think that's probably truthfully the biggest thing I've gotten out of them like my 4-H journey
1: well that's what it's all about you wrapped it up right there because that's exactly what i want to do with this whole idea the discussion uh you're one of my favorite people I always say that i I'm always enjoy working with you and for you when i get to judge for y'all and uh, i appreciate the time you spent and you you nailed it so I, I appreciate what you did
0: yeah well thanks for having me you bet thank you for joining us on taking the reins a special thank you goes to the mississippi state extension service and the MSU Animal and Dairy Sciences Department. Please visit us on Facebook and Instagram at Taking the Range Podcast.